Take your Bibles this morning and we're turning uh, to the book of Proverbs to get us started. We've been talking about bearing fruit. And for us, if you're newer visiting this morning, the very exciting season for us as a church family. We uh, went through a pruning a year and a half ago and, and we had three staff leave, uh, all for very good godly reasons. And uh, it was just an amazing set of circumstances. Don't have time to go into it this morning. But uh, God has reloaded, and so we are kind of full of expectation that the Lord is going to work in some pretty significant ways through the next six months. And so in that, we've been talking about how we need to be ready to cooperate with Him, and what it's like to uh, seek Him and to bear fruit for Him. And so we're in a series of messages called Bearing Fruit. And this morning, we're going to talk about the power of the tongue. In Proverbs 18.21, it says this, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. All right? It's very fascinating. Uh, notice the context. It's clever in that it insinuates really that nobody's exempt. Right? Because all of us talk. Uh, some of us talk way more than others. Some of us are lots of words people. Some of us are few words people, right? But whether you're lots or few, you still talk. And so what Scripture says is when we talk, another way you can interpret this, is when we talk, our words carry the power of life or death to the people that we're talking to. And we will eat the fruit of what we sow with our words. That ought to be enough to scare you this morning. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, come to this, there isn't one of us here who hasn't spoken an inappropriate or wrong word or a hurtful word or a shameful word. Lord, uh, all of us know what it's like to have our seemingly tongue betray us in the middle of a conversation. Oops, I never meant to say that. And yet, Lord, there are things rooted in our hearts that even we aren't aware of, that need to be flushed out by your Spirit. And Lord, uh, one of the steering wheels of our lives is our tongue. If your Spirit can get a hold of that, you can control a lot of things. And so this morning, when we're talking about bearing fruit, we're going to walk through this. And next week, Lord, we're going to try and walk through uh, bearing life with our tongues. But would you help us think this through and tap appropriately where and when and who you need to tap on whatever level uh, you want to have a conversation with. Uh, may this be a catalyst for what you're trying to speak into our lives, and we give that to you in your name. Amen. All right. So uh, the idea of our words either bring life or death. Probably nowhere does that kick up more than when you become a parent. I mean, just realistically, um, when you think about the impact of words, probably the place where that shows up the most is when we become parents. Uh, if you look in the book of James, go from Proverbs to the book of James. And this is James chapter 3. James puts it this way. That whole chapter is about the tongue. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in there. You can um, read it for yourself. It's very instructive and wise. But I do want to pull this part. It says, with the tongue we praise our lord and father and with it we curse men isn't that true 
who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursings. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can salt water produce fresh water. And as you read this and you look through, there's several illustrations here that he's, he's pulling from. And the dialogue here is that there should only be one source and one product of our tongue, and it shouldn't be good or bad, but either good or bad. Saying, hey, if, if you have a fig tree, do you, do you expect grapes from it? No, because fig trees don't produce grapes, right? Likewise, grapevines don't produce figs. Salt water, spring, does not produce fresh water. So he's talking about the source here. We have been in John 15 and talking about, uh, I am the vine, you are the branches. And apart from me, you can do nothing. If the vine remains, uh, if the branch remains in the vine, then it will bear much fruit. And the idea here is what's our source and what are we connected to uh, in terms of when we uh, use our words. Jesus has an insight into this. Usually his insights are pretty good. They were uh, walking, if you remember, they were gathering wheat and rolling it in their hands and they were eating it. And the Pharisees, they they kind of incurred the wrath of the Pharisees because uh, they weren't uh, eating their food with uh, washed hands. In other words, they were eating with unclean hands, hands that had not been ceremonial washed. Which when you think about it, even today we go, that's a good idea, right? Wash your hands, then eat, right? Moms, you teach that all the time. Um, But they had taken that to a whole nother level in, in their world and what they had worked with. And so it became a whole Sabbath thing. And, and Jesus just kind of cut a swath through that. And his disciples are rolling wheat and then, you know, popping in their mouth and eating it. And um, Jesus says this, he's, we're in Mark chapter 14. Verse uh, says, Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach. There we go. And then out of his body. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, this is talking about our hearts now, from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from the inside and make a man unclean. Now that's quite a list. Right? If you just look at that list and look at those words. Now I doubt that there is any one person in here who's guilty of all the things in that list. But I would also doubt that there's not anyone in here who isn't guilty of at least one or two of them. Right? You may find that some of these are not a struggle for you at all. They have never been a problem. It's never even been something you've thought of or wrestled with. But then there's other ones that have caused you struggle, that grip us, that we have to watch out for because it comes from within us. And in this, when we're talking about the battle of the tongues, one of the things that I have tried to... um, coach the staff in i've tried to coach my own children in this is that you always have to be aware of the two natures when we are born again in jesus christ the holy spirit comes in our life and we have a new nature for some of us that's a pretty radical thing right 
For some of us, that was like, this is the way it's supposed to be, and it just rolls out because that's how it, our testimony rolled out. But in either case, there is a, a renewal. There's a new nature that's formed within us. And in that new nature, as that new nature is being formed, there's a certain spirit to it, a certain ethos to it. And so one of the things that we have to consistently watch as people, particularly as Christians, is that we have to watch which nature are we operating out of. Because the nature will produce what its nature is. So the sinful nature will produce much of the list you see up here on the screen. The nature of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, will produce a list that's opposite of that. And this battle is pretty intense. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18, and talking about the battle of these two natures and, and what it's like to, to deal with them, Paul is saying this, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. Have you ever felt that battle inside? Maybe you felt it this morning as you tried to get up and come to church and one side you said, stay in bed. Bed's warm. Nothing's going to happen there anyways. Just roll over. The pillow likes you. And the other said, no, get up, get up, get up, right? You ever felt that battle, right? You ever, uh, you know, in the old days it's always pictured... There were two little angels, right? The white angel and the red angel. White angels from heaven, little angels, a little devil. And both of them are trying to convince you that their plan is the best. That, that's actually a fairly accurate picture for the war that goes on. Uh, but the problem is the war's inside. And the problem is that uh, m- there's a nature that feeds off of the lies that Satan tells us. And so that doesn't completely die when we become a Christian. Wouldn't it be nice if it did? I'm going to ask Jesus about that one day. You know, that would be really nice if it did. But it says we must put that nature to death. That, we have to say no to that. And a lot of times when that battle's going on, there really is another voice speaking to us. It is not your voice. That voice can camouflage itself. Often it will take on the sound of your parent. Uh, you ever have your parents talking to you in your head, right? Uh, for some of us, our parents aren't even around anymore and they're still talking to us. And I have to stop people and say, you know what? Have you ever thought that that's not your parent? That's not just a tape playing? There's actually a voice talking to you that wants you to track that way and is using that old tape to trip you. And people go, oh, hadn't thought about that. And we need to think about that because the spiritual realm is real. The spiritual realm is very active. And both God is active as well as Satan. And both have an agenda. And almost always you can tell how that agenda is playing out by what? Our tongue. Right? Because what's in our heart comes out on our tongue. You ever blurted something out? I didn't mean to say that. Oh, yes, you did. You rehearsed it many times in your heart before. You just never intentionally or intended to vocalize it. But under pressure and stress, what comes out? Right? Right? 
And once it's out, can you put it back in? Isn't that a bummer? Wouldn't it be nice if you could catch it halfway like a frog and just snap it back? You didn't hear that, right? Wouldn't that be cool? You know, kind of a word catcher that if you were operating the wrong spirit, you just snap that thing back and it never got out, right? Couldn't, couldn't reach. If I'm talking to Rob, just get about halfway there and I'd just go, ha, back it is, right? Wouldn't that be cool? But it doesn't work that way. Have you ever watched your words land on somebody? Right? Have you ever? I have. Shoot. I'm a pastor. And I say things and I watch your eyes and go, oh, shouldn't have said that. You know? Yeah, you got to pray for me more. All right. So the answer is this battle, this war, this duel of these two natures is very, very real. That never goes away. So if we're talking about bearing fruit, whether it's individually, whether it's as a couple, whether it's as a single person, whether it's as a family, whether it's uh, as a church, we are always going to have to be aware of those two natures and which nature we're operating out of. All right? Because the words will reflect the nature uh, that we're operating in. The tongue merely reflects what's going on in my heart. Right? Isn't that true? My tongue just merely reflects what's going on in my heart. Now, a lot of us are, are smart enough to realize, uh, as Proverbs says, even a fool is considered wise if he doesn't say anything. Right? And so a lot of us have learned to be quiet. We just zip our lips and it doesn't come out. But here's the problem with that. Okay, if you study communication, and I walk uh, couples through this all the time, that doesn't let you off the hook either. You're still speaking. Okay? When you're talking about communication, uh, particularly in marriage, if you're talking about communicating, 64% of everything you communicate is nonverbal. Did you know that? We get really good at it. When we're under pressure, we have certain ticks and weird things that we do. And, and couples do this. I had a couple one time in my office, and uh, they, we were talking about this, and she says, yeah, he does that all the time. What? That? No, I did not. You did. Look, you just, you, what? Eyebrow thing. Every time you cock your eyebrow. I did not cock my eyebrow. Yes, you did. You know, right? And we just get really good at noticing um, each other's nonverbals. We can have a whole conversation and never say a word, right? Jen's going, yes, I know that works. Good, somebody else is with me. Thanks, Jen. And, uh, and, and we get caught up in that. So our language can be nonverbal, but it's still language, right? And it's a reflection of what goes on in our countenance, what goes on in our, our posture, our body, how we use it. And that is still communicating. So the question is, again, which nature are we operating out of? Because even when we aren't speaking, we're speaking. Now, Galatians says this. We need to be careful with our words. Uh, James says, particularly for pastors, that uh, those of us who teach should be much more careful with our words because we will incur a much stricter judgment. Oh, happy day with that one. <laughs> I'm thinking, wow. Okay, But Galatians says this, do not be deceived, God cannot be mocked. In other words, you can con, let's cut that to the chase right here, you can con a lot of people. You can con everybody about it. You can con the people at work. You can con your children. You can, con, you can even con yourself. We do a good job of fooling ourselves. There's one person, though, you cannot con. Who's that? God. He looks into the heart. 
You cannot con him. You cannot fool him. You cannot spin him. You cannot derail him. You cannot red herring him. You just cannot get past him because he is the all-seeing God. And he sees into the hearts of people. When you come on a Sunday morning, I can't see into your heart. I'm hoping I can tap your heart with some of the things I'm talking about, but I can't see into your heart. But when you come on Sunday morning, my prayer is that God looks into our hearts and that he has a conversation with you and that he's talking to you about that. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please the sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now specifically, have you ever seen somebody destroy their life with their words? I have. Many times I have watched in my office when couples use words against each other and I watch it blow up right in front of me. And I watch the wounds. You ever watched uh, it happen in a family? Some of you come from a family that that happened to. That the, the language given from the words used was not life. It did not speak life to you and it did not speak a blessing to you. It spoke a curse. Why did we ever have you? Why can't you be like your brothers and sisters? You're so stupid. You're, right? We know those words. Those cutting, drilling words that we've tried to escape from all our life. Many of us lived under a spirit of cursing, not a spirit of blessing. And what's dangerous with that is that it's hard to reverse that pattern. When we fall under pressure ourselves, we tend to fall into what we learned under crisis. What we learned in crisis was from our parents, and so we end up cursing even though in our heart it's a desire to bless. And so we have to develop skills with our words and skills with our heart. But it says here, don't be deceived. The man reaps what he sows. You ever sown a crop with wrong words and then prayed for crop failure? Right? I don't want that batch to come up. Just mow it down, you know, kind of thing. You ever done that? I know that's a kind of a farming illustration, but you ever planted some stuff you hope never bears fruit? You ever planted some stuff you hope just dies and never goes any farther? I have. I have. Dear Jesus, whatever that was, kill it. Okay, Because it came out wrong. It didn't produce the right thing. And this has to do with our, notice here, the two natures. It says, the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And so the question is, who are we serving? Really, when you're talking about the tongue, the question is, under whose leadership is your tongue? Is it under the leadership of your carnal nature, your sinful nature? Or is it under the leadership of the Holy Spirit? Because your tongue will reflect who you're following. It will reflect under whose leadership you are. So if you're following the Lord Jesus Christ and you're desiring to please the Spirit, you will course correct a lot of things and change the way you'll say it because you want to produce life. If on the other hand, you're just selfish, you're just mean, you're just petty, and you just want people to know they're bugging you, that's what's going to come out of your mouth. Be you Christian or not. So here's Jesus' warning. When it comes to words and when it comes to our tongue, he says, he's talking in Matthew, he says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad, its fruit will be bad, 
for as a tree is for a tree is recognized by its root. And then he says this for out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. The evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account. And here's, I think, worth paying attention to. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment. That's the great throne judgment, right? Where everybody stands in front, comes before the Lord. On that day, the great throne judgment, for every careless word they have spoken every careless word have you ever spoken a careless word anybody in here never spoken a careless word right home home on the range where the deer and the antelope play where seldom is heard a discouraging word right Have you ever been guilty of a careless word? The idea there is that should bring us quickly to snap back to repentance. Because it says this, For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Have you ever thought about that? You know, there's actually studies uh, that they've done that say that walls like this, um, plaster and the kind of stuff, actually record the words that are said that the imprint of the sound waves is pressed into the walls and that if you had a a machine you could actually play it back out if you knew how to do that it ever occur to us that god has a soundtrack of our words not just our public words but our private words okay you know how we speak here is probably very different than how we speak at home or how we speak at work or how we speak in our thoughts. And that is recorded. For by your words you'll be acquitted and by your words you'll be condemned. Now, this morning I don't want this to be a guilt fest. I just want to be an awareness fest. Okay? Because we live in a culture that doesn't take any of that seriously. Um, you know, we our culture is just kind of Um, you know, we live in a a culture of unclean words. And so I want to take you to a guy who had this battle himself, and we would consider him a very godly guy, okay? This is a rocking dude in the kingdom. This is a guy who many of us would say, man, if I could be like that guy, wow, would that be awesome. I would really know I'm being used of God. And so I want you to turn and look with me at a guy named, and he's very familiar to, Isaiah, all right? Go to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, Old Testament, Right? you got Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Isaiah is the first one there. And uh, look at Isaiah. And I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 6. This is uh, a significant event in Isaiah's life. Isaiah served under the reign of six kings. Some really good, some not so good. Uh, scripture has it, the legend has it, that he ended up um, under Manasseh being sawed in two by being stuffed in a log and sawed in two. That's the reward he got for following, right? Because it was a godless and wicked rule during his, that time. But Isaiah was somebody who was used powerfully by the Lord. And it says this in chapter 6, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Now we know that as a song. But stop for a second, get it out of the song, and think about if you were sitting... 
somewhere, maybe at a park, maybe in your backyard, and suddenly the sky opened and you saw the entire sky filled with the throne room of heaven. And you actually saw God sitting on that throne with his robe and train and the holiness and all these things happening around him. It says in here that the that above them seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they were flying. And they called out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook. And the temple was filled with smoke. Imagine if you actually saw that. To where you're looking and everything around you starts shaking from the voices of those seraphs proclaiming glory to God. That's more than a song. Isaiah is a man of God. Isaiah is someone who loves God. Isaiah is someone who's serving God. And when he looks and sees this, I got to get caught up here. Um, Well, I didn't follow any of that. No wonder you guys are looking confused. My apologies. What he says is this. Woe to me. He says, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You know, things look pretty normal till you look at God, right? And then you start to see the gaps. And this is what happened to Isaiah. He saw the Lord and he went, what was his first cry? I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. You know, we, we live in a culture of unclean words, don't we? I mean, um, Pam and I actually got to a place where we cut cable out because we just couldn't handle the commercials anymore. Just, they're profane. And uh, they, they're just awful. And so we just quit doing that. You know, we, from shock jocks to rag magazines, uh, that master in gossip and slander, uh, and they're, they're everywhere. It should be no wonder that, uh, to us why we fall into this stuff sometimes. You can't get away from it if you're on the internet. Um, it, you know, you don't even have to click on the boxes because they start bringing this stuff to you, right? And I'm not even talking about pornography here. I'm talking about gossip and slander and accusation and so much of what we pass for news is not news. Any of us remember the news from the 50s and 60s versus news now? A dramatic change. And for those of you who are younger, you don't know that because this is, you grew up with this. This is all you know. All you know is computers and cell phones and MSN and Yahoo and, and all that stuff. And, and that stuff never existed before. And I'm not saying all of that is evil. It's not all evil. But there's a lot of crud with it. There's a lot of unclean words. And it's not just that, even. It's the people around us, right? People in our schools, our work, our neighborhoods. Um, you get into conversations and, you know, it can get uh, colored sometimes, right? And, uh, and then you're trying to wrestle with how do you respond to that. But it's worse than that, too. It's us. It's us. If we had recordings of how we talk to each other in our homes, would that play out well? Now, I bet you sometimes it would. I bet you sometimes it'd be hilariously funny. 
And I'll bet you sometimes, you know, it would just be clapping and applauding. But I bet you'd be the other time, there'd be some pretty raw embarrassment if we could record how we talked in our homes and just play it up on the screens. How we talked to our spouse, how we talked to our children. It would not always be pretty, right? And so one of the things that if we're going to bear fruit, we need the Lord to help us to clean our heart and to clean our lips. This goes on in, the, in Isaiah here. Uh, and here's what happens to him. It says, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. And here's the interesting phrase. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. Seraphs there, the word, the, the word here for seraphs is the only place it's used in the Bible. Uh, you run into angels and all kinds of other terminology in heaven, but seraphs are used here in Isaiah, and they are known as the burning ones. Okay, So the idea of these flaming entities that are whirling around God and proclaiming praise, and out of there, one takes a tong and takes a live burning coal off the altar and come and touches Isaiah's lips with it, and when it touches his lips, it says there, your guilt is removed and your sin is atoned for. It's covered. Okay? And that picture, of course, was totally fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ when he died on the cross for our sins and our guilt was removed and our sin was atoned for. But here's the point I want you to get this morning. Because so often what happens is that's great when we come to Christ and we get into the Christian life And we go farther and we go, you know, I've known the Lord for 5 or 10 or 15 or 20 or et cetera, et cetera, years. And um, I should be better. I should know better. I've walked with them long enough. I shouldn't have, or that shouldn't have been said. And so we live with an unrelenting guilt because we know we've blown it. We know we've said things we shouldn't have said. We know we've reacted in ways. And Somehow grace works for people coming into the kingdom, but grace doesn't work for the sons and daughters of the kingdom. And I want to suggest to you this morning that grace works for us as well. All right? That God's sovereign watch care over our hearts wasn't just for the beginning. It isn't just for the middle. It's all the way through. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And that means he is atoning for us even this minute as we sit here, regardless of what you've done or said. And trust me, in a group of people this large, there's been some pretty bad things done and said. Okay? That shouldn't have been done or said. Right? I mean, (laughs) duh. Because we're people. (laughs) That's how it works. Look at Isaiah. Here. Here's what I want to point out. When his mouth was touched, his guilt was taken away, his sin was atoned for. Here's the important part. When did this happen for Isaiah? Now, if you're an American, you want it to happen right away in the beginning. So this should happen in chapter 1, right? Hi, I'm Isaiah. The Lord touched my lips, cleansed my heart. I'm atoned for. Now I'm a prophet of the Lord, and therefore I have this ministry, and here are my words. But it doesn't happen in chapter 1. Where does this happen? It happens in chapter 6. Right? Happens in chapter 6. In other words, Isaiah had known the Lord for a long time. He had walked for the Lord for a long time. And here's two really important things about Isaiah that we need to take right now in our history of our church as God has us where we are right now. Number one is this. 
Later on in Isaiah's ministry, he had a revelation from the Lord. Not all revelations of the Lord come in the beginning. Many times the Lord will reveal himself to you in ways that are stunning and astonishing long after you've known him. Many times it comes after a dry season. You ever been in one of those desert dry seasons, right? You were on the pavement and next thing you know you're buried in sand and can't go anywhere and can't figure out what happened. And it's often in those times, after those times, if you weather those times well, that the Lord brings what? A season of fruitfulness and a vision from him that you have never seen before. And he can reveal himself to you in new ways. Trust me, you do not know everything there is to know about Jesus Christ. Are there questions you have for him that he's never answered? Right? Well, except for Kirk. No, no, Kirk's here. <laughs> Kirk and I were in youth group together. We have all kinds of questions. That's why I'm laughing. No, are there questions? Right? Has God played all his cards out? No. What he's done is played out what he wants us to know, and he's revealed to us who he is, what his character's like, and what he's going to do. Is that everything there is to know about him? Not even close. If John, his best friend, saw him in Revelation, when he saw him, he fell on his knees like a dead man. It was so beyond recognition, John didn't know how to react. That is surely true for us. Isaiah was stunned with this vision. He cried out, oh my goodness, I thought I was doing good. And I look like dirty rags. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. We are in deep trouble. But then the second thing, so number one, this morning, no matter where you are in your walk with the Lord, there are things that Jesus can reveal to you about himself that you have not known yet. That will be great and will be awesome. And in this Isaiah gets a new heart, a new renewal for ministry. God touches his lips and says, hey, I've got some things for you to do that are going to be really special, and you need to have a clean heart and clean lips so that you can do them. Now ask yourself this. God blessed Isaiah in chapter 6, not chapter 1. Anybody ever been blessed by the words of Isaiah? For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. You know, 2,600 years later, some of the greatest words in the Bible are found in Isaiah. Just read the end of 52 and the end of 53 this week, if you don't think so. Some of the greatest words ever recorded in human history are found in the book of Isaiah. In other words, Isaiah's words became a blessing. They became life to many, many people. Now, that doesn't mean everything Isaiah said was easy, right? There's some harsh things that he says in that book. But there are also some spectacularly beautiful things that he says in that book. And he speaks a word of life to a nation that's in deep trouble and going downhill. He speaks words of affirmation that are phenomenal. What words of affirmation could we speak if we decided to use our tongues for life, if we got serious with the battle inside, the battle between the flesh and the spirit, and we cooperated with the spirit, especially in this season, so that the Lord would breathe life through us as a fellowship? And might that be recorded through history as a church where revival broke out? 
And the Lord visited in a special way. And our lips could bring life to people instead of death or cursing. Next week, we're going to talk about bearing fruit with our tongues. I hope this has whetted your appetite for it. Watch your words this week. But more importantly, watch your heart this week. Which battle are you playing with? Because it matters a great deal. Let's pray. Father, I don't think I said anything this morning that is new for anyone in this room. But some of your greatest truths are truths that get rehashed and replayed and reminded. And Lord, the reason you have to remind us all the time is because we forget. And we make mistakes because you coached us at one point and then we go along and we forgot what you coached us in, Lord. And this one on the tongue has been around as long as... Uh, the church has been around and probably longer than that. It goes all the way back to the beginning with Adam. And so as we are in the midst of this and we are seeking to cooperate with you during this season, Lord, we are looking for you to do something uh, extraordinary on next spring because of the pruning you took us through. We believe that we are at the precipice of some awesome stuff. Therefore, it is really wise for us to be careful with our words and to submit our heart and our lips to you. That our nonverbals, that our tone and our words would line up and they would bring life and bear fruit. We ask, Lord, that you'd help each one of us. Each has a different kind of battle, a different slant, a different personality um, that comes through on this kind of message. And you... We'll have to adjust that when your conversation with us individually. May you have fun doing that this week. May you find us cooperative children in listening to our dad and how we should use our tongue. We ask this in your name. Amen.